Hello and welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast. I'm Anand Krishnan in Chennai, your host for today. Joe Biden, the president-elect and soon to become 46th president of the United States, will take office in January, facing twin crises of a raging pandemic and an enormous economic challenge. For the Biden administration, perhaps no relationship will be as crucial as the currently fraying ties with China when it comes to overcoming his economic problems at home. His predecessor, Donald Trump, leaves behind a legacy of a still ongoing trade war, which has pushed the relationship to the brink. Helping us make sense of Biden's China challenge and Trump's legacy, we are joined today by Bob Davis and Wailing Ling, two journalists at the Wall Street Journal who have authored the new book, Superpower Showdown, How the Battle Between Trump and Xi Threatens a New Cold War. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, uh, congratulations to you both uh, on your book, which I should let our listeners know is now available in India. Uh, It is a fascinating and I think extremely well-researched and probably the definitive account of the U.S.-China trade war. Um, Before we come uh, to your book, which I think has so many lessons for us in making sense of U.S.-China relations today, uh, if I can just get the both of you to share your perspectives on more recent developments in the U.S. where you both are sitting. Um, If I can come to you first, Ling Ling, as of uh, today, November 11th, uh, China still hasn't really officially uh, congratulated uh, the president-elect or the outcome of the election. Uh, Of course, President Trump has been saying a lot that uh, China would actually prefer a, a Biden presidency. Uh, just what have you made of Beijing's response so far? And do you think there's any truth to what President Trump says about uh, Beijing's preferences? Uh, sure. Uh, first of all, announce a very, uh, it's a, quite a pleasure to be here. Um, yes, absolutely. The lack of response from Beijing so far is very telling. In previous uh, U.S. Uh, presidential elections, you know, the Zhongnanhai leadership, what they used to do was they would make predictions themselves as well. They would, um, you know, uh, for example, the 2016 election, you know, the uh, Chinese leadership overwhelmingly, like the rest of the world, put their bet on Hillary Clinton. They didn't think um, Trump would win at all. Um, you know, obviously that was a was, was the wrong guess. Um, after having uh, gone through the past four years of tr- uh, the first Trump presidency, um, what really made uh, the leadership in Beijing conclude is the U.S. is no longer a reliable partner. Whoever in the White House, be it Trump again or um, Mr. Biden. You know, it doesn't really make a difference in terms of a fundamental issues between these two countries. So this time around, um, they stopped making predictions themselves. Just so be it. Um, at the same time, you asked, you know, why China hasn't responded so far. Um, you know, one thing is uh, they really um, are waiting for the official concession by President Trump and waiting for um, the official official result, you know, announcement of the result from uh, the U.S. So um, they really um, are trying to not to provoke Trump even further, because as you know, obviously President Trump 
has been very angry at China. He, you know, had it not because of the coronavirus pandemic, he could have won the election probably very easily, right? Now he's very angry at China, and you know, for the Chinese, the next uh, two months uh, could potentially be the most dangerous period of time for U.S.-China relationship. They didn't want to. Uh, you know, send a, a message of congratulation to Mr. Biden now, you know, uh, to give the appearance, one, they prefer Biden, two, you know, they are basically, um, you know, uh, showing President Trump the middle finger. Okay, you know, you're done. We're done, we're, 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 we're done with you, too. They, they really want to play it safe and avoid any kind of uh, uh, confrontations uh, intensifying competitions in the next two months. So they're really, um, you know, very cautious. Uh, and also, one more thing is for, the, uh, for President Xi Jinping, you know, what is it in there for China if they send a congratulation message to Biden, right? There, if uh, the U.S. somehow, the new administration, uh, extended some kind of uh, olive branch to Beijing, they would take it and they would respond. But now they felt like, you know, regardless Trump or Biden relationship is not going to get any better anytime soon, you know, what, you know, what, there's nothing to gain from sending Mr. Biden the congratulation message now. Well, that's interesting. And I think that one thing that I really came away with from your book is uh, I think you use the sentence that this trade war didn't start with Trump and it probably won't end with him. Uh, so, Bob, do you think that uh, Beijing probably has come around to the view that I think both of you have in your book that these are structural issues, uh, these are long-term issues, uh, and that this big divergence is, is here to stay? And would you uh, expect Biden to actually continue many of these policies that, that you've described in such detail in your book uh, that have sort of uh, defined the relationship on the trade front these last four years? Yes, I think I think in general, Biden will be building on what Trump did, uh, despite their many disagreements during the campaign. On um, trade issues, uh, I would expect to see a very different tone. Um, and also, I would also expect at some point, uh, Biden will roll back uh, some of the tariffs. There's now tariffs on Three quarters of everything China sells to the U.S. I would expect maybe not to be eliminated, but to be rolled back. The question is for what? You know, what is Beijing going to offer? But on the technology front, I would expect that to continue and maybe even intensify. Um, you know, the U.S. is trying very hard, will try very hard under Biden to um, uh, soup up its, its spending on technology, um, continue the you know, the efforts to isolate Huawei and to put at a, um, you know, at a uh, top priority the idea that the U.S. is ahead in, is ahead in almost all of these technologies and wants to stay ahead and what does it need to do? Right. And it seems, Bob, that some of the Biden-Harris campaign's uh, policy plans, uh, you know, the Restore American Leadership Abroad Plan, the Ensure the Future is Made in America, Going through those plans, it's quite striking how much China figures in, in both of them. Uh, and in, in some ways, uh, they mentioned so many of the things that you mentioned in your book, uh, whether it's uh, trying to bring back supply chains uh, or uh, 
use policies to incentivize American companies to move back. Uh, so do you think that is there a, is there a dif difficult balancing act they face where obviously they're going to want to distinguish themselves from, from Donald Trump uh, and put their own stamp on it? But is it inevitable that they will have, to, if they want to achieve what they want to on the economic front, for better or for worse, uh, there's going to be continuity in some of these uh, tough policies that, that Trump pursued? Yeah, I, I'm, I think there will be more continuity than one expects. Uh, you know, the analysis of China, that China is, um, you know, uh, the biggest challenge the U.S. faces uh, in at least the beginning of the 21st century. I mean, they both they both share that. The idea that the U.S. had been naive, I guess, in terms of uh, expecting China to change. Uh, both Biden and Trump share that, where they disagree. And it's a big disagreement is on tactics. So the tactics will change somewhat. But, um, you know, this movement toward disengagement um, or a cold war, I mean, there's a variety of different metaphors for it, but I think that continues. Uh, Lingling, would you agree that that would be the predominant view in, in Beijing as well, that uh, both sides are somewhat resigned to an extended period of confrontation? Uh, it seems that some, from some of the writings that I've seen in, among uh, Chinese strategic experts, they're saying things would be smoother, there may be a little bit more predictability, but looking at the long view and the direction of the relationship, is your sense that uh, Beijing is similarly bracing for more of the same? I think two years from now, Beijing would miss President Trump. Um, because uh, as Bob just laid out, um, the Biden administration obviously would uh, pursue a more strategic approach, working with allies, you know, confronting China, not just on trade, but technology issues. Um, you know, for, for Trump, this go it alone strategy really alienated a lot of the allies, even though they shared a lot of the same concerns about China. Um, so I think China also sort of like dropped the ball a little bit. They could have moved faster in terms of cutting trade agreements with European Union, Japan, South Korea, or that regional trade agreement that, you know, also include India. Uh, but, you know, but they have uh, proved um, times and again that they're not willing to make any kind of concession to anyone. Um, so. To this day, we haven't seen really solid progress in terms of, you know, China having any of those deals with other traditional allies of the U.S. So now you have a Biden administration who's going to be friendlier to the allies, you know, uh, out, uh, reaching out to them more, confronting China. I think the window opportunity for China to build its own alliance is getting narrower and narrower. Um, at the same time, I think, you know, just as the, the Biden administration might try to confront China from a position of strength, Beijing is thinking about the same way. Um, they, that really explained their the strategy President Xi Jinping is pursuing these days, you know, uh, beefing up domestic markets, domestic companies, domestic economy. You know, two years from now, if China's economy is still growing at 5% um, rate, um, if the U.S. is still in the negative territory, you know, uh, she could very well say, look, you know, regardless, we are advancing. 
we continue to, um, you know, uh, on the right path for national development. You know, one thing that I really uh, uh, enjoyed in your book was I thought it was a fairly even-handed assessment of, of what Trump achieved and what he didn't. Uh, you, you weren't entirely damning everything that he did, nor uh, was, it, was it a great success in every way. Uh, and, and one thing, Bob, that you, you do mention, uh, Ling Ling just said the failure to work with allies. But the other thing that really comes across in your, in, in your book is this uh, remarkable sense, state of dysfunction there seemed to be within the Trump administration, uh, various sort of, uh, you know, cliques uh, that were sort of trying to influence the president. Uh, so from your perspective, it seemed to be one reason at least uh, why there wasn't really a coherent American approach to China. Just from that perspective, would you expect some of those mistakes uh, to not be repeated uh, with, with, in a Biden White House? Uh, yes, I, I would. Um, I was really taken by Ling Ling's comment about that China would uh, miss uh, Trump in a couple of years <laughs> because it's possible even the press corps might miss Trump in a couple of years <laughs> because this is a very disciplined group of people, totally unlike the Trump team, <laughs> just totally unlike them. Um, and so, yes, you, I think we'll see a much more disciplined policy um, um, development, um, much fewer leaks. Um, uh, but but there will still be disagreements. There will still be this. I mean, China policy is tough, right? I mean, how much do you push back on China? How much do you need China? Uh, Biden has said very clearly that uh, public health, climate change, uh, the Iran deal on nuclear power, nuclear weapons are his top priorities, and you need China for all of that. All of that. So um, how do you engage with China, and how do you at the same time push China on these uh, economic issues. It's, there's going to be disagreements, uh, enormous disagreements. One uh, Trump guy that I talk to pretty regularly says, well, your next book can be on all the divisions within the Biden administration. <laughs> I thought he was joking, but you know, is there something to it? Uh, can I uh, get you guys to weigh in on the technology side of things, uh, where it seems to be that uh, this is a debate that involves India as well. And there seems to be this kind of divide that seems to be shaping up on issues, uh, especially like 5G. Uh, if I can come to you, Bob, uh, on this as well, uh, the Biden administration has spoken in its documents uh, of being uh, really forceful on tech issues uh, in the way they deal with China. Uh, so in that sense, you expect a greater American effort to work with allies. One thing that's been missing with the Trump administration is that even if uh, they've been really vocal about dealing with China, there hasn't been much on the economic side, uh, whether it's in terms of 5G or in initiatives to combat the Belt and Road or to respond to the Belt and Road in Asia, uh, in keeping with Trump's own view of what the US should and shouldn't be involved with overseas. Uh, do you expect that to change in any way, Bob, for, for, for me sitting here in India? Uh, would there be a greater economic component, for example, to the US's Indo-Pacific uh, strategy overall? Yes, I think, I think it'll be different. I mean, they will continue to try to isolate Huawei outside of China, and then that's certainly to continue. But I think there will be a much greater effort to produce an alternative to Huawei, right? I mean, uh, presumably a technology that would be a next generation uh, technology, one that wouldn't rely so much on Huawei hardware, 
And I think you'd see that across the board. I think India is in a very, very interesting place. I mean, the Biden administration will try to put together uh, kind of a united front on how to deal with China. And, you know, will India be part of that? I mean, India obviously is a country that they would want to sign up for something of that sort. Well, how, how much, how far is India willing to go in that sort of thing? Uh, particularly on trade issues, as you know, I mean, India's, um, um, <laughs> to say the least, pursues its own interests when it comes to trade and is often at loggerheads with the United States and most everybody else when it comes to, you know, global trade issues. Uh, so how much will India be willing to work with the U.S.? And, and I think that question will be uh, on the minds of the leaders of uh, countries throughout Asia and Europe as well. This has not been a shining moment for American democracy and American leadership, right? And so how does America claw that back? Yeah, I will uh, come to that at the end of our conversation in terms of what you see panning out in the next two months. Uh, but before that, uh, Ling Ling, if I could uh, get your sense of how do you think Beijing would look back at these four years uh, on the US-China front? Uh, it's been so many ups and downs uh, on some level. Uh, in your book, towards the end of your book, you make the point that in many ways uh, it has pushed Beijing to double down on some policies like uh, greater self-sufficiency, even if they aren't using, uh, you know, phrases like "Made in China 2025." They're pretty much doing many of these things. On some level, uh, will there be uh, sections of the leadership in Beijing thanking Donald Trump for, uh, in some sense, uh, maybe even unifying the leadership to some degree, or? pushing greater self-sufficiency in how uh, the Chinese economy functions? Absolutely. Uh, the trade offensive of the past few years from the Trump administration really has served as a rallying uh, you know, uh, point for, for President Xi Jinping. You know, his popularity these days in China um, you know, is really uh, quite impressive. You know, there is, uh, is a genuine sense of support for him, you know, from the grassroots levels, from, you know, within the leadership. Obviously, you know, in, in the lead circles, you have seen and heard and read um, frustration and resentment from very brave uh, either uh, thinkers or, you know, business people or some uh, very few government officials. But, but, you know, that kind of challenge really is not uh, super meaningful in today's China. She has made himself the undisputed leader uh, in China. Um, you know, uh, ob obviously a lot of forces in China that are keen to maintain status quo uh, really, um, you know, should write Trump a note of thank you uh, because, um, you know, uh, the by China policy China has been pursuing for many years uh, is getting taken to the next level. Um, you know, you see in, in the, especially in the technology arena and also going forward, we're also going to see that in energy. Um, so it, it's really pretty amazing. Um, not only this trade war, uh, didn't accomplish what Trump administration set out to do, um, but also, you know, caused China to double down on this state-led development model, and you know, and also, uh, most worryingly, it further stirred up the national 
nationalistic sentiment in China. You know, obviously nationalism is popping up all over the world now, but in China these days, it's really you know quite fervent, and uh, you know the U.S. is considered um, you know a, 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 you know to a lot of Chinese not a really uh, uh, well intentioned. You know, all they trying to do is to bring us down. So that's really providing. Um, you know, some fodder and, and, and vindication to the leadership to further stand their ground and not, you know, giving any concessions, even though some of the concessions might work for China, China's economy in the long term. Uh, the last word to you, uh, Bob, what would be your final uh, analysis of uh, what Trump was at least able to achieve on the China front? I think from uh, my vantage point in India, I think one uh, area we could give him credit for is flagging issues that perhaps previous administrations didn't flag uh, up front when it comes to dealing with China. So uh, what would you give him uh, points for at the end of his uh, four turbulent uh, years? Well, let's look at it uh, first on the trade front. So, I mean, what he did, he managed uh, his trade representatives, Bob Lighthizer, managed to put together a signed uh, deal on trade with China. That's um, an accomplishment that his many of his predecessors didn't manage. What they would do with interchanges would be a bunch of press releases and no enforcement mechanism whatsoever. And China promised to toughen intellectual property, change a bunch of regulations, particularly about agriculture. And what gets all the credit or all the uh, publicity is uh, to buy another $200 billion worth of US goods. Um, if China doesn't come through with all that, there is an enforcement mechanism uh, which could lead to more tariffs. Again, so, I mean, that's something to build on. Uh, and it's something that you can't really ignore. I mean, it is, again, a signed deal between the United States and China. On technology issues, he has uh, alerted uh, the world to, uh, which should have been taking notice of this anyway, that China is moving ahead on a variety of different fronts uh, technologically. And the question for democracies is, um, how will that technology be used? In Xinjiang, it's used you know, to repress uh, and try to limit and repress the Uyghurs there and eliminate their culture. It's used for surveillance in all sorts of places. Um, is that the sort of world uh, that we want? Is that the kind of use of technology that we want? Um, so, you know, again, it's a challenge both technologically and and in a you know human rights kind of way is you know should the technology be used in certain instances, and then more broadly, I mean China is an enormous challenge to the rest of the world. I mean it is the same challenge that you know that Richard Nixon and Mao you know described, which is you know what's the future of China? I mean is the future of China to be a hostile power? I mean it is going to be unless they screwed up enormously the world's biggest economy. Um, and will it be a threat to the rest of the world, or will you know the the dreams or the hopes of a variety of you know uh, countries around the world that it will become you know a force for a positive force? You know, will they be finally realized? And that is you know one of the fundamental questions of the 21st century. And and Trump gets some credit for making that front and center. Bob and Lingling, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, their book, Superpower Showdown, 
I think is a must read for anyone trying to make a se make sense of this moment, uh, this really unprecedented moment in US-China relations. Thank you both so much for making the time today. Thank you, I enjoyed it. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.